Aloha lovelies, it's Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I'm back to do my weekly podcast recapping the latest geek in my week, which to be honest is typically TV and film, occasionally a manga, depends on how I can get that sorted in there. Uh, But this week, this schedule includes my thoughts and feels on Captain Marvel. She's been out for a week or two-ish, so I'm hoping everybody has had the chance to check her out because I'll be coming in with the feels. I'm going to also be talking about the latest episode of The Magician, Season 4, Episode 8, Home Improvement. I'm also going to be talking about Doom Patrol, Season 1, Episode 6, Paw Patrol, that dropped just this last Friday, and The Order, which was a Netflix series that dropped about two weeks ago uh, that was coined The Magician's Knockoff. So I had to watch it because I recapped The Magicians. Let's see what that's about turned out to be a very scary uh, journey. So stay tuned for all of that. Uh, As always, just in case you didn't know, this is your first ride over here on the Curvy Geeky Fangirl train. I go heavy into spoilers, 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 spoilers. So if you have not seen any of these shows, you want to catch up and then come back, pause it here, catch up on these shows, come right back so we can have this conversation because there is a lot, a lot to discuss and unpack. Uh, As always, quick self-promo here. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and my website, curvygeekyfangirl.com. You can find this podcast through the Anchor app, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and very close to anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Do your girl solid and comment, rate, and subscribe wherever you listen to this dope geekness. And I'll go ahead and get started on these recaps. All right, so Marvel's Captain Marvel, <laughs> the movie that dropped. So I actually caught it uh, opening weekend, which was not last weekend, but the weekend before. And uh, I liked it. I liked it. I didn't think it was like at like Avengers Endgame or Avengers Infinity or any Avengers uh, type level just yet. It wasn't even at, like Captain America's Civil War level yet or winter soldier level yet it was very much like first avenger captain america origin story level there was a lot happening there was a lot of stuff that i felt was very distracting um and the climax for the movie also was a little underwhelming for me but uh yeah i'm just gonna go through a quick pros and cons situation i am a bad news first type of gal so that's what i'm gonna do cons for me the music placement that they put in here, in case you didn't know, this movie's supposed to be based in the 90s, mid 90s to be specific. And I mean, they definitely touched on a lot of mid 90s alternative rock that was happening. We got to hear some songs from Garbage. We got some songs from No Doubt. We got some songs from Hole, if you remember them as a group. Uh, but it was oddly placed. Like there'd be a huge fight sequence and then you'd hear like No Doubt. I'm just a girl. So... I mean, I get on paper how it would seem like it's great, but then when you have the music actually playing with the action you're seeing in front of you, it's like, this is weird. Um, I also, it kind of felt like they, it felt like a rush job to get this origin story in and out so that we can hurry up and tie her into everything else and the next phase of movies. I don't think we need a full movie of origin story for each individual character. It's helpful. Yes, but I don't think we need it in the way that they presented it. I kind of like the way they set it up with Black Panther. His origin story wasn't really an origin story. Like they gave us a brief overview of why we have a Black Panther, how it ties to Wakanda, how Wakanda ties to the rest of the world. And then we kind of moved into the future with things that were happening uh, kind of like at the same time that other stuff was happening in the Marvel Universe, which I appreciated. However, with Captain Marvel, it was all back in the day. Like, I mean, it gave us an explanation as to what happened to Fury's eye. We got introduced to some other great stuff, but it definitely felt rushed. That climax that we get, it was supposed to establish and show why she's so powerful and how she is definitely a force to be reckoned with. However, I didn't 
I don't want to say that it didn't feel like there was a lot on the line, but it didn't feel like there was a lot on the line. Not only that, when she shows her display of, of gifts, it was more geared towards the other Kree that she was fighting, her team that she was fighting, more so than the head honcho himself, who I don't remember. But it also doesn't matter because he barely shows up in the film. Like when she finally meets the head honcho, she just kind of like busts into space and stares at him all lit up and he's just like we're out and leaves and leaves <laughs> they're like okay okay so there was that uh, but that's it for my cons honestly it was still a fun ride but i just thought the music was weird and i didn't like the build-up uh, yeah i didn't think we need this full long origin story we could have probably crammed that into like 30 minutes and i didn't understand the ending but the good parts the pros Loved Maria Rambo, loved Monica Rambo, huge fan of Monica Rambo. So I got super stupid excited when they kept mentioning her and then actually gave her a pivotal part in the movie. Fantastic. I love chummy, jokey fury as Samuel Jackson. It's a nice reprieve from the very serious dourness we get from him all the time. It was awesome. I loved it. We even got Agent Carlson back in the, in the or Coulson, oh, Carlson. Agent Coulson back in the mix, mind you, it was like real, real quick, but it was enough. It was enough to establish that he has been a good guy from get. Yes, he's had his ups and downs, but he has been a good guy from get go. Appreciated it. I also surprisingly liked the scroll side story we got. My experience with the scrolls have been through the huge trade back comic books, Secret Wars, um, the original Infinity Stones, uh, other stuff. And knowing that they're shapeshifters, but also knowing that they had a more nefarious plan from usually from this beginning. But in the movie, that's not the plan at all. Like they're using it as a defensive tool, basically, because they are basically being accosted at all sides by the Kree. And they need to figure out a way to get out of that situation. It's... I mean, it was interesting. It was an interesting turn of events. I I actually had emotions. We met up with some of the Cree families after they get reunited. It was an interesting twist. And I, want, I wonder how that actually turned out for everybody else, but I liked it. I didn't mind this twist that we got. Um, but overall, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I love that the side character is a side story. Um, and I, I, honestly, I love Brie Larson as Captain Marvel. I don't think they gave her the best story to work with for her origin, but I love watching her kick ass. That is a fun watch. And I'm excited to see how this is going to work and tie into Endgame. You get a nice little tease at the end of how she's gonna come back for Endgame. I'm very interested to see how that all boils down and how much she's actually gonna get in terms of action and fighting for the movie. We're gonna talk about a lot of characters with a lot of plot lines. Holy cow. So, but I'm excited. It's on the horizon. It's coming out in April. We're getting closer and closer to this end game, which I'm sure I'm going to cry about because this, this is the culmination of damn near 10 years worth of Marvel stuff. It's also going to be the end for a lot. I don't want to say a lot, but for some pretty major characters that they've been building up for the last 10 years or so. So eh, excited. But overall, I did like Captain Marvel. I didn't think it was out of the park so if i did give it stars out of five stars i'd give it i'd give it three and a half four and eh, i'll say i'll be three and a half i'd give it three and a half stars because it was still a fun ride but there was a lot of stuff happening that i didn't think needed to happen that distracted from the main goal and i found myself more interested in all the side stories than in the main one there you go so that's what's happening with the captain marvel movie let me know if you guys enjoyed it it's real super Super short and sweet with my recap there. But honestly, I think that's probably how you could have wrapped that up. And we could have got more information like what she was doing during the snap anyway. Neither here nor there. So let me know what you guys thought about Captain Marvel and we will be moving on. All right, we're gonna be jumping into The Magician's Home Improvement, season four, episode eight. And I'm gonna be breaking it down by character arc like I usually do this as a series, as I've said before, that juggles a lot of plot lines and a lot of characters at the same time. And for the most part, they do it pretty flawlessly. The downside to juggling all of this is that you get a lot of filler-esque 
episodes, you still get some nice information from them. You, get, you glean some great information from them. But it's usually like a, a full distraction dance until the very end when you finally get some information. And that's kind of what this episode did. So anyway, um, first we meet up with Quentin, who's hanging out with Julia, Katie, and eventually Penny23. Basically, they're picking up uh, the same quest that they've been picking up. Quentin's been on the find the building blocks to make the monster a body uh, quest, basically. And it's been a slow go. They've kind of come across a couple of gods, murdered them to get these blocks. They're trying to find the next block, but there is a wrench in the plan because the god that usually handles that block is dead. So, (laughs) and apparently the two, wherever this uh, deity is buried, they have no idea. But um, they get some help on the case. Katie kind of overhears what's going on with Darth Elliot and his need to find a body. And she calls in Pete aka love lady uh he's tapped into the underground so if anybody has heard anything about this odd block that's randomly circulating in the magic world it'd be him and it turns out he has he's found something he lets them know that it's currently in possession of a dragon there's a dragon in a river in new york who's just hanging on to this block for some reason Uh, and if they want to get this thing they have to trade something pretty invaluable to get it. So Quentin and Julia head down to talk with the dragon. They end up talking to the dragon's herald, AKA it's like talk piece. And this guy's name is actually Harold. So, I mean, hysterical. But Harold's in the middle of an emergency. Apparently the dragon is missing a blue vial of some kind of substance. I still don't really know what it is. I'm pretty sure they explain what it is, but it doesn't matter either way. So uh, basically, Quentin lets Harold know they are the, him and Julia are the ones who would definitely find this vial. Harold's like, fine, whatever, do what you gotta do. They go off, they have one little clue and it's like a blow dart that uh, they have, Harold and his crew haven't been able to figure out its origin, but uh, all it takes is Quentin to look at it once and he knows exactly where it's from. It's from Fillory. And if it's from Fillory, that means it's gotta be from somebody who's associated with Fillory and obsessed with dragons. Enter Poppy. So Poppy's back in the mix. Quentin meets up with her at Break Bills. He tracks her down to Break Bills. She's in the physical kids dorm, house, something. And um, she's dripping with sweat and looking real shady. He He figures out she's up to something. And when she opens up the door, she's full on pregnant. And it's like, huh, ominous. Her and Quentin got down last season. There was a whole thing. I'm pretty sure it was like circumstantial. It definitely was circumstantial in that he was there, she was there. Why not situation? Uh, But it's also Quentin and um, low key. He's like dying to be a dad. So we see that happen. Uh, Then Julia and Katie and Penny show up at the physical place because Quentin's been there for quite some time. And when they get in there, Quentin is acting crazy. He is doting on Poppy hand and foot. They can't figure out what's going on. He's so excited to be a dad. They're like, this is odd. Katie finds a dragon book and poor Julia is trying to piece together what's going on. And then she starts talking about magical pregnancies and it kind of clues her into the fact that A, Poppy's probably hiding something. She can't be the one who's actually having a magical pregnancy. And Katie also helps her in the fact that she's been reading this like dragon porn book for some reason, but it's given her the clue that there might be an egg that they got to look for. Turns out Poppy has a full fertilized dragon egg. She stole the egg. That blue elixir that Julia and Quentin were supposed to be looking for has already been used on this egg to help fertilize it. We also find out that this egg has a security feature. Anybody who touches it, instantly becomes protective of it. And that's how this egg is able to sustain itself until the dragon can hatch out of it. So the plan is get this egg without actually touching the egg, save Quentin from Poppy, go and trade this with the dragon. Doesn't necessarily go down that way. Penny 23 tries to make a move. He gets gloves. He manages to get the egg, but then like the egg kind of calls to him and he ends up licking the egg, which then makes him fall in love with the egg. And Julia's like, ah, crap. Then Julia remembers that's right. Magic doesn't really work on me like that anymore. So I'm just going to take the egg. She does successfully. No qualms. 
Katie has her back. She has a full gun for some reason. And she is she manages to hold Quentin, Poppy, and Penny 23 at bay until they can get back to the docks where the dragon is. When they get back down there, some, well, magic. Quentin, Poppy, and Penny have beaten them to the location. And they're threatening something so they can get the egg back. Doesn't work out. The dragon makes its appearance. Wants to know what the ruckus is about. Julia lets her know, yo, we got this egg. We're here to give it to you. That elixir you were looking for kind of went into this egg. So sorry about that. The dragon takes the egg, gives Julia some interesting conversation about her being a potential goddess or something to that nature. But she takes the trade. So she takes the egg. Julia and them get the rock. Poppy has a mental breakdown over losing the egg and then has a random like come to moment where she realizes she also loves her baby. So it might not have been just the egg, but also her own pregnancy. Who or well, yeah, whom, by the way, she has been discarding this entire time. She just didn't, she doesn't want it. She doesn't need it. She was trying to abort it, but kept getting distracted by other quests <laughs> she could do involving dragons. And now all of a sudden, after her her whole situation with this dragon egg feels like she could probably do the mom thing. Maybe not well, but I mean, in her words, what artist had a happy childhood in the first place? Like it's, oh, it's a terrible, it's a random, random side story we get with this crew, but they get the block. That's the round and long and short of that. Uh, we also get a nice little moment with Alice. Alice gets her own little storyline where she meets back up with Stephanie. Stephanie is her mother. So basically Alice comes back to break bills and meets up with Dean Fogg. Where Zelda, the head librarian, also happens to be. Zelda needs Alice's help because last episode, Zelda tried to go into the mirror world to get her daughter back and it ended terribly. It ended terribly. She could not find her daughter. There were demon versions of her daughter running around, around which we found out are shards, according to Alice, who, when she was a Niffin, decided to do experiments uh, with in the mirror world. It's so ominous. So just, it turned out bad, basically. But Alice basically tells her, if you're trying to get your daughter, you can't really do a lot of magic in there. You're gonna need to just pull her out because magic in the mirror world works insanely. Everything is opposite or reverse. It's not gonna have the intended effects you want it to have. Uh, but you know, they're like, how do we do that without magic? So Dean Fogg comes up with an idea. He's got a spell to turn an everyday object into a beacon, uh, but it does require a certain person with a certain relationship to do the spell. We need a mother-daughter relationship because Zelda is a mother who is looking for her daughter, which requires Alice to meet up with Stephanie. In the past, Alice and Stephanie meetups have not been good. Stephanie is a shit mom. She's a terrible mother for Alice. I don't know so much for her brother. Alice used to also have a brother who passed, but it was never good for Alice. Alice always felt second best. She couldn't even call her mom, mom. She had to call her Stephanie the whole time. She had a closer relationship with her father, uh, but because she was a Niffin, there was a whole backlash situation and her dad died. So her and her mom haven't had the strongest of relationships. When Alice goes to meet Stephanie, there's a whole lot of antics happening, but we do find out some good information. One, after the libra library blow up in Modesto, librarians have instituted some kind of like magic, I don't wanna call it a scale, but measuring device basically, where you get your finite amount of magic and the scale on the wall, this meter on the wall tells you how much you have left when you're almost depleted. And uh, it's an interesting tidbit that we got from as a fallout for what happened to Modesto. We also find out that uh, Stephanie has a relationship with the librarians. Apparently she called them to turn in a friend. She's got a friend who we met, whose name I don't care about. I don't, she was barely important. When we met her the first time, I'm saying the previous season, she just worked as an antagonist for Alice. Like this wasn't another person who was kind of taking Alice's place from her mother and she tortured this poor lady. In this episode, the lady's appearance has completely changed and she has a side hustle where she makes sex voodoo dolls. Sounds terrible, but she take you basically, you take your DNA and your partner's DNA and tie them to these dolls or bind them to these dolls. And no matter where you are, you can do stuff 
to these dolls. And it's like you're doing stuff with your partner, except they're also still voodoo dolls. So even if you're not doing lovey stuff to them and doing like, I don't know, crazy insane killy stuff to them, it would have the same effect. So the library is not super happy about this side hustle. And Stephanie is the one who decides to turn in her friend. I don't know if it's to get more magic or what. But yeah, that's the decision she makes. But because she made that decision and Alice is there, it causes a whole situation where Alice needs to figure out a way to get out without getting caught by the librarians because they're not sure that she's in the house. But she also needs to get this beacon spell done. There's a lot of back and forth, some creative uses of these voodoo dolls to get rid of the librarians. But eventually, Alice and Stephanie kind of come to a meeting ground about the relationship. On the one hand, they're never going to have the mother-daughter relationship that Alice wanted growing up. But on the other hand, there's like this begrudging loyalty to each other. And that's a type of love that they get that Alice and Stephanie, I guess, kind of just understand now and are working towards. So it ends with Alice getting the beacon spell done and handing it over to Zelda. When we meet back with Zelda and Dean Fogg back at break bills, Alice, you know, turns in the beacon and is hoping to get Sheila free, her friend from the previous episode. Except when we meet Sheila, she has already fully doused herself in the library Kool-Aid. She's super excited to be a part of the library. She's like, Alice, you don't understand. Alice is flipping out. She's like, you don't understand. (laughs) These people are corrupt and they are murderers. And Sheila hits her back with, well, nothing's perfect. Like, oh girl. Okay. Oh girl. But in a weird way, Alice still gets a win because if Sheila, because Sheila is part of the library, her book is now in the poison room and any mentions of Alice in Sheila's book are going to go undetected because it's in the poison room. But she doesn't get her friend back. So it's like a a sucky win at best. And that's kind of where we leave all of that. Um, What else? We also had Margot and Fenn's storyline, which was the shortest. Uh, We're coming right off the heels of everything going terribly wrong. And Fenn's prophetic dreams from the previous episode. And Fenn has taken it up to go on a full quest to find out what's going on with these dreams. Uh, So she starts on her quest and Margot tags along. Margot gives her this weird side story about how, in essence, Fenn's whole prophecy quest is really about her. It's about her problems with the talking animals and about Margot's problems with the kingdom at large and therefore she needs to go. But Fenn sees it for what it really is, which is a distraction from the fact that Margot and Josh are fighting right now. Because she knows Margot really feels, I don't wanna say feels, but has feelings for Josh. They may not be romantic in nature, but she cares about Josh and she's a little upset with the fact that he's upset with her and doesn't know how to handle that, so. She might as well take a break and run away for a little bit. So they go and they follow uh, Finn's dreams, which takes them to a very, very sad looking cottage and a lady in a green cloak. And then there was a lady in the green cloak in Finn's previous dream. And Finn is sure she has found the answer to her dreams, but Margot is already questioning this lady. And to be fair, she had right to. This lady has a cat mask (laughs) that she kind of turns around in. And her, her, the way she kind of presents herself as being somebody who can see into the future is very bad. She just kind of repeats things and kind of guesses at what somebody else is going to say. Not only that, but she tells Finn and Margot that in order to get the prophecy they want, they have to do all this, all these chores around her house. And Margot's like, this is suspect. This is suspect. But when she brings it to Finn, Finn's like, no, no, no. You're not messing up my prophecy. We're going to do as this lady asks. Let's hop to it. They start doing some chores, but Margot is still like, this is bullshit. Like, there's no, there's no way. And eventually, Margot proves herself to be right. So they basically trap this lady in these creeping vines. And the lady comes clean. She's like, listen, I've had a lot of people come by here, all talking about these prophecy dreams they're getting. And they are fucking up my place. Like, that's what, like, they are just trampling through shit. They eat my food. I need help, <laughs> right, basically. And they're just like, ugh. you know, Finn is a little disappointed because she was really hoping to get her own quest. Uh, but the lady does give them some good information. We find out that the dreams that Finn, Finn is having 
is the result of a questing creature called the Napster, which, okay, here we go. So if you don't know what the Napster is, because you weren't around when it was at its heyday, Napster was a free downloading service of sorts. It lets you download music illegally. Um, and it caused such a huge shift in how we consume music. It's like, it's part of the reason why we have streaming services right now for music and later video, because it was so immensely popular and it seriously affected sales of music and some movies when it was in its heyday. The emblem of Napster is a cat face. And that's exactly what we get with this lady. When she takes off her green cloak and her hood, it's a cat lady underneath <laughs> for some reason. So uh, Finn manages to finally talk to this creature uh, with the potion of Ambien given to her by Margo. And <laughs> she gets the full rundown of what's going on with these dreams. So basically the Napster lets her know that I can give you your prophecy or I can give you somebody else's, you know, you have that option. It's still fillery though. Everything has a cost. So, so, but Finn is true and loyal to the core. So she's like, no, I need to take mine just in case Margot or the kingdom needs me. Let me have it. Let me know what's going on. And the Napster basically drops it on her that, yeah, as Margot said, her whole prophecy and quest is about Margot, but it's not in the positive way that we're all thinking. Basically, she's like, you're going to have a moment where you need to protect Fillory. And the way to do that is by dethroning Margot by any means necessary. She's like, blood if you have to. And we end the episode. I'm like, uh, okay, so bear in mind, this is still magicians and they are known to have a twist or two. It's known to have petty, petty, petty <laughs> rivalries and reasonings for a lot of the actions of its more higher magic creatures. So I wouldn't put it past poor Finn to be a pawn in somebody else's plan for Margot who has control of this Napster. I also wouldn't put it past the show to have this be like a double meaning of sorts and that it may not necessarily mean to dethrone Margot so violently, but in a different way, like by totally getting rid of the monarchy in general. So who knows? But we already went down that pike last season, so. But yeah, I don't I don't believe this whole Finn has to kill Margot situation that they're trying to push on us right now. But. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. Oh, I also forgot to talk about Katie. So like I said last episode, Katie is uh, kind of creating a hedge witch uh, rebellion force uh, accidentally. I don't think she knows that she's doing this, but there was a whole part uh, before the whole crew left to go on Quentin's quest to find this block where Love Lady and Katie were having a whole discussion. And Pete basically points out like, yo, we could really use you to kind of lead the front for the hedge witches, because they are basically terrorists right now in the world of magic because of everything that went down with the library in Modesto. And Katie's like, yeah, you should turn in the girl who did this in the, in the first place. And it's kind of back and, back and forth with Pete rightfully pointing out that the library is lying to them and made them sick. It's been after them in the first place. And they are basically super dominating magic right now. And Katie being like, well, tough shit. We don't have enough information, let alone the manpower, to go against the library. So our your plan of just retaliation for retaliation's sake is kind of dumb. <laughs> what we need to do is buy us more time. So you should turn in the hedge witch who did the stuff in the library at the Modesto Library, so that we can have that time to find out more. I'm interested to see if Pete is going to take her up on that. He's been not so subtly hinting that he could be her right-hand man in the next wave of hedge witches that are coming up. But Katie's also not super interested in all of that as well, even though it's it's probably predestined that she's going to be the next leader of the hedge witches. She already screwed Marina out of her apartment. Uh, her and the Marina from her actual timeline had a lot of beef in history, especially in regards to her mother. And Katie is a very talented hedge witch on her own. So I wouldn't put it past her to take up the mantle to be the new leader of the Hedge Witches, especially since we have two of the Break Bills crew being monarchs or Fillory. And we also have a whole situation with Julia being a goddess and Alice being a 
a Niffin slash magic expert all, the, all around slash fugitive. So it wouldn't be a surprise to see Katie kind of get her own side story slash come up in. So we'll see how that goes. And that's pretty much it. I haven't seen the previews yet for the episode coming up this week for Magicians. But I want to say we're getting close to winding down anyway. There's not a whole lot of episodes to Magicians. And this was episode eight. So hopefully it'll speed up now. Because that's usually what happens as we get closer to the end of everything. I'm hoping the gang gets together one last time. We get everybody in the same group. I also hope they figure out how to get Elliot into his body before the season ends. So... We'll see. So I will be moving on to the next show here, which is Doom Patrol, right after this. Like all things geeky and nerdy, check out ForAllNerds.com, a site that strives to uplift people of color in pop and geek culture. Yours truly is the fashion and lifestyle editor over there with tons of fandom fashion sets for cosplay inspiration and everyday geek wear. Check out ForAllNerds.com today. All right, so I am talking about Paw Patrol, which is episode five of season one for Doom Patrol. You guys, okay. So, I mean, it's not a shock. I've said it before. I am I didn't read the comics. My intro to Doom Patrol were the shorts that were on the DC streaming service um, before they announced the group. And also that pretty much standalone episode we got in Titans for Doom Patrol. Up until about now, I've really liked the show so far. It is weird. And they welcome that weirdness with like open arms. And they've been doing a really good job of fleshing out these characters and giving them dimension and giving them context with the exception of Cyborg um, and kind of Rita. But this random two-parter we got, it's, I still don't understand how it fits into the overall narrative for Doom Patrol, but maybe this is how the comics work. So if you read the comics, let me know if this is how it usually runs, where they kind of have a set story, but also they just veer off, like somebody with a, an attention situation, they, they just, can't, just can't focus, and then kind of somehow bring it back. Because that's what it felt like. We got part one of this last episode, we got introduced to a chaos magician, an eye that was going to destroy the world. Um, a kid who was a living book. None of this having to do with the chief missing. And the team getting split up. Cliff and Jane got stuck in Nuremberg. Everybody else was at the house. Poor Larry is going through it right now for some reason and trying to figure out his reason for being with this also like negative energy spirit living in him. Rita is just being really mean and sad all the time. I don't, Cyborg is having some kind of nervous breakdown. I, it was all over the place and I was confused. And then when, when we get this new episode, doesn't clear anything up. So let's go ahead and jump into this episode, shall we? We basically open the episode by learning more about Jane. We find, kind of, kind of figure out where, where Jane got her powers from. Apparently in the seventies, she got committed to some sort of facility, some sort of psychiatric facility that were running tests on her and abusing her and kind of forcing these other personalities to come out. And for some reason, she never killed any people. She'd just break out. She just would escape and they would catch her and bring her back and beat her up and she would just do it again. I'm not sure why that was a thing, but we get that. Meanwhile, the eye is still happening. Meanwhile, Rita's getting closer to the former living book of the eye. Uh, and we're supposed to care about this for some reason. I'm not sure why. All of that, and, and how I'm explaining this to you is exactly how it shows up in the show. Random. Uh, we also catch up with uh, Cliff and Jane and Nuremhein. Mind you, previous episode, uh, they're, what do they call them? Anacrons? Anacrons? These giant people. Uh, basically had turned them into their true selves. So Cliff was literally a brain in a puddle. And Jane had turned to a little girl named Kay. We found out that Jane is actually another persona and that Kay is actually the original. And she shows herself as a little girl. We still don't know what the event was that caused Kay to break off into these personalities, but we know when she got the meta abilities attached to these personalities when she was at the psychiatric place. Um, we also get nobody back. So Mr. Nobody shows back up and he's kind of in a bind because now that the world's about to end because of the D creator, 
if it ends, he's not going to be able to continue having fun with Niles the way he is. So he's kind of stuck. Niles throws it out there that they could team up temporarily to stop the world from ending. Because they both lose if it ends. And nobody begrudgingly agrees. They decide to come up with a counter-religion to the decreator, and that is the religion of the recreator. And they need Jane to be the Messiah for it. She's got a personality called Dr. Harrison, who is a psychoanalytic uh, persuader kind of deal. So she, on the spot, can psychoanalyze somebody from their troubled, troubled pasts and uses this to coerce them into doing whatever she wants them to do. Stabbing themselves in the face, worshiping a god she literally made up on the spot, you name it. So they use her to do that and it works. They even get their own living book, which happens to be a very adorable pug with one eye that they've got to read off of. The chaos magician is still here. We still get Kipling in the frame, but he, again, he doesn't really do much other than be there to read the book. Uh, we even get the return of the chief because nobody and him have teamed up. I'm not sure if this was part of the deal or what, but the chief shows back up for the gang, for the rest of Doom Patrol. And he's able to walk because sure. And, but he doesn't really do anything. He just kind of shows up to make sure that the team does what they need to do to, to get the recreator started so they, they can cancel out the decreator. But that's pretty much it. And then he kind of just disappears back into nobody's realm. This episode was so weird. Um, what else happened? Yeah, and that's pretty much it. Chief disappears again. Uh, um, poor Cyborg, who was trying to stop it from happening, has clearly clearly learned nothing from his last foray with nobody. Because time slows down. His gun that he pulls out overheats, charged too long, blows up his arm. He has a whole breakdown moment where he's in tears and kind of flopping around because his arm blew up. Oh, that a uh, like an emergency SOS light starts flickering on his neck. Cliff is like, what is this about? Starburger explains like if you press that button, it'll start his repairing process, but also send out an SOS signal to his dad. And he doesn't want that to happen. And Cliff is like, fuck whatever you want to happen. We're gonna do it. <laughs> like, I don't care. Presses the button. His arm immediately starts healing itself. Meanwhile, a signal gets boosted to his father and he's like in tears about it. And I'm, I still don't know why. We've got Rita who is mourning the loss of Elliot, who was the former living book for the D creator. He disappeared while talking to her. She got super close to him from the previous episode into this episode. And I'm not sure why we're supposed to care about this loss. We met him seconds ago for a character who I guess they're trying to show that she's more than just a selfish character. She's somebody who is looking for connections with other people, but we got that from the previous episodes and how she doesn't know how to do that. I'm conf again, confused, I'm confused. But, and then that's how the episode ends. Cyborg's arm explodes. Everybody's kind of crying in their own corners. I mean, Cliff and Jane managed to escape Nuremheim uh, with the religion that <laughs> the chief and nobody and Dr. Harrison created. They have a chosen one who helps remind Jane of the plan that Dr. Harrison created so that they can stop the decreator. Uh, and one, it involves a bell. A bell has to get rung for the writing on the living book to be revealed. Jane does it, gets it done. We get a wonderful song, Ring My Bell, that appears as well. And then they manage to get out of the crystal globe of where Nuremheim is in time to see the chief disappear. Um, but yeah, that's the, the episode ends with everybody kind of alone again. Larry is alone having nightmare dreams in his room about burned family members. He like curls up in the fetal position. We've got poor Rita outside mourning the loss of Elliot because even though they stopped the decreator, and the recreator kind of brought some stuff back. We still don't see the return of Elliot, who she's randomly gotten close to. We've got poor Cyborg softly crying in the library because his arm is healing and a signal went out to his dad. Like there's a whole moment where his dad's trying to make a call to him. And he just keeps like denying it and declining it. Okay. And then we get Cliff like softly stroking a photo of a human version of himself. I mean, I too would stroke softly a picture of Brendan Fraser. But we get it, show. Cliff misses being a human. 
I got it. I got it. This is okay. We're in episode six. Oh, no, five. We're in episode five of a 10-episode series. What? So, yeah. And then Jane. Jane's outside. Of everybody, she's kind of the most together, but now we also think she might have something to do with nobody's plans. He kind of created this, I don't want to say a backdoor, but he gets in touch with her again after the whole Messiah thing finally finishes. He gets in touch with old Jane to let her know that she is randomly going to have a thought. And when it happens to look for something, we don't get to hear what he asks her to look for. Cut to modern Jane painting outside and wondering what the hell a Doom Patrol is. End of episode. And exactly how I explained this, all scattered brain and all over the place. That's exactly how the episode went down. Didn't make any sense. And I also don't understand what exactly is happening right now. We know Cliff wants to be human, but he can't. We know that Larry is literally torturing himself over the terrible decisions he made when he was married to a woman as a gay man. Also, the, how he hurt his partner, the man he actually loved, and everything got taken away from him when he got in that accident and became you know, radioactive. Uh, how he kind of blames a lot of that on the negative spirit and how we recently discovered the negative spirit blames a lot of stuff on him. We also know that Rita is really having issues with her place in life right now. She is barely keeping it together to keep her figure the way she wants to. She desperately wants to go back to her old life, but can't. It's now been like a good five decades since all that went down. Uh, and, uh, but you know, unwilling to move forward in any way for some reason. And I'm still not sure what Cyborg's problem is other than he doesn't want to rely on his dad also think cyborg out of everybody is getting the most disservice by being a part of doom patrol right now he initially came across as like this strong independent leader with actual background and being a hero but since then he just kind of comes across as this entitled whiny brat who doesn't understand why he can't just do what he wants to do when he wants to do it all the time and but also trying to lead the way as being the only one with good moral values. I don't know where all this is coming from. It's just, eh. I mean, the show's at its strongest when it's diving into these characters, when it's talking about how they became the people that they've become. It is at its weakest when they also try to tap into the overarching storyline, which is that the chief is missing and they need to figure out a way to stop nobody. As amazing as Alan Tudyk is, playing Mr. Nobody. I also don't understand how they're supposed to stop this deity because that's really what Mr. Nobody is. He is a unlimitless, or I can't even talk. He, is, he has a ridiculous amount of power behind him, a ridiculous amount of power to tap into. They found no weaknesses. We are in episode five of what to do with this dude. He can change everything. He can manipulate everything how do you stop that what when does he take a break a thousand questions and none of which got answered in these last two episodes because we took a random divergence from the main story to include this randomness of an eye for no reason and when they even included the chief it very much felt like a well we do need to tie this into the main story somehow let's do this like eh. That was basically Doom Patrol. It, I just, I had a lot of questions. To me, not the strongest episode of the season. I did not need this two-parter. Everything else was okay. I mean, it's it's still not like a, how do I say this? It doesn't feel like it's a well-fleshed out series just yet, but I definitely like a lot more than Titans, except for these two random standalone episodes. And I really hope they don't do this again as we go further and further into these episodes. I don't want us to get back on track for episode six, only to have another random side two-parter right afterwards. So here's hoping, fingers crossed, that um, this was the only one where I just didn't understand what was happening or why it needed to happen in the way that it did. End of Doom Patrol. So we're gonna be talking about The Order right after this. (music) 
Aloha, beautiful listeners. It's Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I wanted to take this moment to thank you for all of those listening ears that check out my ramblings on this podcast. Please rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts as they really help this little podcast grow and grow. Also, don't hesitate to reach across those social media lines to talk about all things geek with me. Check out Curvy Geeky Fangirl on Twitter and Instagram, and don't forget that if you listen to this podcast on Anchor, you can leave an audio message that might get played on the podcast. Just saying. Now, back to my ramblings. All right. So, I am laughing because I'm about to talk about The Order, which is a series that dropped on Netflix, which has been described as the great value version of The Magicians, to which I would say is a very accurate conclusion. So, um, yeah, okay, so... Clearly, this TV series that Netflix dropped about two weekends ago or so was geared towards a very younger demographic. They very much are trying to tap into that Riverdale slash, uh, I want to say Sabrina S because it's also created by the same people who did Riverdale. Like they're trying to tap into that demographic with a, with a lot of magicians mixed into it. Um, except that, oh, and like every every supernatural CW TV show you've ever seen all roll together into this show. It is a hot mess. It's a hot mess of a show. But damn it, if it's not entertaining, I completely understand why there is a good sized group of very young people who love this show. Check it out on like reviews on Twitter. You, it runs the gamut of being like heralded as like the next great binge and also like cripplingly criticized about all of its story elements, you name it, rightfully so, rightfully so. This, this show is uh, it's trying to be a lot of things to a lot of people and it succeeds in none of those things. So, so... I do have to say that given my bias, um, I also, right after what I watched The Order, watched one of my favorite movies of all time, Teen Witch. If you know anything about Teen Witch, this is a movie that has no plot. There's no plot to this movie. Just an overall, like, don't you wish you could do this type of feeling that they ran with. It can't decide if it wants to be a musical or a supernatural teen flick or a rom-com, or a serious story. Like, it's just, it is a mess of a movie. And I love it. And I love it. And I had to look at my adoration through that lens and put it with the order and understand the value of this show. So let me break it down for you. This is the order, the great value version of The Magicians. So the reason I say it's a good describer for this series is because you get a lot of touches of magicians in this show. You've got somebody coming off of the street who doesn't have a magical background, who's trying to get into a school that's got a secret club about magic, basically. They set it up uh, with this, they call him a townie, this townie character called Jack, who is basically trying to get into this college called, okay, just, uh, yeah, it's, it's basically called Breakbills, but it's going to be called Belgrade instead. It's basically Breakbills. It's called Belgrade, and he's trying to get it get into the school on behalf of his grandfather. They set up this whole backstory for Jack in that he is the bastard son of some multimillionaire person, billionaire person, uh, who kind of romanced his mother, and they blame him for her suicide. His mother died when he was younger. He was raised by his grandfather who has taught him to hate his biological father. They have a whole vision board in the garage of their home that's just full of hate symbols and like lines through the faces of his father, whoever this guy's supposed to be. There's a whole sticker or like a middle finger next to the picture of his father. Like they really wanna hammer it home. That they don't like this guy, basically. So Jack is sent to Belgrade to get in the secret cult that they know that his father was a part of 
And how they know this or how they tell the audience that they know this is that his grandfather used to work for the school. So he got the insight on a lot of this. But as the show progresses, his grandfather knows nothing about the school. So then you're like, how did he know about the call? It's, there are a lot of glaring gaps <laughs> in this show that you're just like this. Um, makes no sense. And the elements of magician in it, you're like, oh my gosh, this also makes no sense. Why are we adding this in here? There is a character in there who plays an RA for Jack that Jack meets. He's the first, he's one of the first people Jack meets. And this guy's name is Randall. And if you watch The Magicians, you recognize him as Todd. This is Todd from The Magicians, who also was an RA for the physical kids place. To be fair, Randall is a highlight for the series. He is hilarious. The guy who plays Randall is really good at what he does for this show. Anytime he shows up on the screen, anytime we get a little story arc about this character, I, I'm just watching it. I'm just watching it and having a good time. So kudos to this guy because he does a good job with what he does. But we also get introduced to all these other side characters. So we've got these side characters in the cult. They really want to establish the cult to be like this richy, elitist corrupted group of people and they are and then you get the counter to this group so the cult <laughs> that i'm calling they're not less actually called the cult but they're, they're called the order of the blue rose we've got the order of the blue rose they basically practice magic they do sorcery uh, some of them are doing the hand dancing that we know from magicians some of them are just saying spells straight out um, all of them are doing it for their own gain. So you get that. And then <laughs> we have the Knights of St. Christopher who are werewolves. But not werewolves in the classic sense that you and I might know. You know, where you get scratched or you're born one and you turn on the full moon and stuff. Nope. In this series, they are living entities that need hosts in order to continue their quest to stop the order of the blue rose or so we're told at the beginning of the show essentially they kind of work as magic police so they they're basically out there to stop people from misusing magic or doing bad magic essentially it is a hot mess the numbers alone don't make sense like this knights of saint christopher there's three of them and jack becomes one the order of the blue rose gazillions of people okay yeah sure Sure. They don't even really establish why the Knights are after the Blue Rose people. We just know that there's a long history of bad magic being used by the Order. Sure. Um, and then <laughs> there is a forced love story also in this. It's just, it's the way I'm describing it is exactly how it plays out. Basically, Jack is Quentin. Basically, Jack is Quentin. If you watch the show, he has all the marks of Quentin being a regular guy, kind of gets thrown into the magic world. Not only is he thrown into the magic world, he excels and thrives in the magic world because he's a special. He's a special of the special. Not only that, but they have him in a dual role status. So he's a Knight of Christopher and associated with the Order of the Blue Rose because sure. Um, and then we get Fomar, Fo I can't even talk. Faux Margot and Faux Elliot. Elliot's kind of split into two people in this show. We have uh, a character called Hamish, who's the leader of the Knights, who, again, basically the Knights' house that they live in on base, on, on, not on base, on campus, it looks like a downgraded version of the physical kids' house on Brightville's. And he dresses. I, I think he's supposed to be dressing like in a chic way. Like Elliot's style of dress is very like vests and lines and collared tops, you know, with ascots or ties or something cleverly adorned in his fully classy attire. And Hamish kind of is like the great value version of that. Like the outfits that are pieced together, no shade to the uh, wardrobe designer but it just, it doesn't work as well on him. And you're just like, what is going on? He's also a mixologist like Elliot is on the, the magicians, but without any context, he just likes it. And you're like, okay. 
This doesn't feed into any persona, but all right, cool. Obsessed with it. And the reason I say he's half of it, because we also get introduced to a character named Brendan. Brendan is the sole black character in this so in the show who survives. Oh, yeah, I'm going to get into the diversity of the show. But Brendan is a gay character who just kind of plays hard to stereotype about gay characters and has no story arc. So, but he's there and he's bitchy. So I guess that's all we need. And then we have four, like I said, faux Margot, who is this other bitchy girl character who's part of the order who I, I want to, they try to show her as being somebody who is very manipulative and um, very much only out for herself, which is how they established Margot in the beginning of The Magicians, but without any of the layering context we got, like how, why Margot and Elliot are best buds the way they are and why they were like that in the first place, the shit they've gone through, none of that. So you're just like, okay, I'll take your word for it, I guess, and what's happening here? It's, it's, a, it's a hot mess. And then we have uh, Faux Alice, who was a girl named Melissa, who is a talented sorcerer, magician person for the Blue Order. She meets up with Jack. They are supposed to be having a love story. The show, the series, does, does a very long-winded uh, romp with them as like a will-they-won't-they they type of couple, except I don't care. There, there's nothing about them as a couple that makes me want to like see more of that. Like <laughs> the, maybe it could just be me, but the chemistry between those two leads were abysmal. He had more chemistry with the teacher. With, they have a professor who's there, who's very much supposed to be like Dean Fogg. Let's not play. Very much supposed to be like Dean Fogg. He had more chemistry with this professor than, than the, his actual love interest. He had more chemistry with Randall than what's actually happening in front of us. The love stories in this thing are a joke. They come out of nowhere. You're like, what? You did? You liked each other? It's very confusing. There's a lot of jokes. They try to do a lot of pop culture references and jokes and they don't really land well. It very much reads like somebody told them to say it and they just put it in there. I, it almost feels like eight different people were writing the script and no one talked to each other. And then they just pieced it all together to make this series. It's a mess. It's a mess of, of a series. But like I said, entertaining. Like if you can get through and not question a, a lot of the gaps in the story, overall, it's not, it's not especially terrible. We get to see Jewel State. If you know who that person is, she is... Uh, geek royalty, honestly, if you want to talk about it, she's got a firefly background. She was in Serenity. She's been in a lot of geek related things. Canadian actress. Uh, she, she is stellar in this. She does a great job of playing twins in this series. We also had, we also had a really great run with Matt Fewer. So Matt Fewer plays the grandfather for Jack. And if you don't know him, also geek royalty. He was in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. He was in Eureka. And he does a really good job of playing this like troubled but loving grandfather who really wants a, really wants revenge for his daughter, who he feels was just like completely abandoned and basically murdered by this insane mega megalomanic crazy person of a boyfriend, romantic interest. I don't know, Jack's dad. Like there's some good points in the show. There's one episode in particular that I really, really liked. There is, it's towards the end of the series. There's a whole episode. It's kind of like Randall's standalone episode. Basically, the Randall, aka Todd's character, it gets trapped by this mad scientist and they throw this plot in here of like science being integrated into magic and what would happen there. And a lot of it is pretty believable. Like the logic in this episode kind of stands out because it makes sense. I highly enjoyed it. Randall gets taken in uh, by a scientist. He kind of rope-a-doped, get in, into a, being a part of an experiment that the scientist is doing with magical creatures. And um, we learn more about what's going on with the Order as well through this episode. But it's also the episode that has the least amount of Jack in it, so that might be why I like it so much. But I also liked this, like, 
side thought process of like what happens if science also found out about magic and what that would do. For me, it was a great episode. It was a great standalone episode. And then after that, it's just like, I don't I don't know what's going on. Another con for me on this show uh, is the diversity in the order. There is a zero to none. When, when we get introduced to the main characters, they're almost all exclusively white. And then as we start to learn or start to meet other characters who are actual characters of color, they start murdering these fools like immediately. We get introduced to a black girl who's trying to trying out for the order, murdered. We meet, we meet uh, a, a, a brown student who's trying to, I think they call him Armin or, they basically let you believe he's like of Middle Eastern descent, murdered. Uh, we also get uh, like some test subjects who are all people of color, murdered. Like it's just, you're just like, oh my God, the full Margot and the Brendan character are the only two uh, people of color in the show that have a semi-regular bearing. Everybody else is white, 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 white. The show also makes a point of like talking about LGBTQ issues in the show, which come out of nowhere with no context. And you're like, okay. All right, like I thought they had a queer character in Lilith. Lilith is one of the Knights of Christopher. She's played amazingly by the actress who plays her. She's one of the few characters of color who actually survives a lot of stuff. This girl is of indigenous descent. She's, I wanna say she's from Canada. I wanna say she's from Canada. Um, she actually has a stint right now in American Gods. She's one of the very few characters of color that stays in the show, but she also, in my opinion, didn't really get used well. Her character's pretty one note. And then when they do introduce some surprising facts about her, it comes the fuck out of nowhere and doesn't make any sense and has no context. Like most of the series. So you're just like, okay, okay, Adam, nothing makes sense. And, but like I said, but like I said, as much as you're like, this is dumb. This is, this isn't, this is dumb. This is dumb. Why am I still watching this? You still find yourself watching it. You still, I still got through all 10 episodes of this show and this, the ender for this show, I gotta say it was pretty good. It was a pretty good ender. They they ended on this huge cliffhanger where basically the forced romance that they've tried to create throughout this entire show ends up in a betrayal, essentially. Like there's this whole moment where Alyssa uh, decides that she is completely joined in with the order and the order has basically given them direction that now that they know who the Knights of St. Christopher are, they're completely unveiled. And even though they work together to stop a bigger bad from happening, they need to take out this threat and they do it basically. They don't murder anybody, but they do leave it up in the air of like, the, the knights are screwed. The knights are screwed. The memories get wiped. You don't know how they're gonna get back together. I would not doubt that the show gets a second season. I do not have hope for this <laughs> second season to be any better plot wise than the first season because it's a hot mess the whole time. It is not a Riverdale. It tries very hard to be one, but it is not. It also tries very hard to be a Sabrina. And it's also not that either. Like, whoo. So if you're a grown ass adult who's into supernatural stuff and you're trying to find something to watch that you don't really need to pay attention to, this is that show. Watch The Order. If you're a younger person who kind of likes the kitschy campiness of a show and doesn't really need a whole lot of plot to enjoy a show, or a whole lot of logic to, to enjoy. These sound like bad things, but they're not. To enjoy the show, this is definitely that show for you. And like I said, right after I watched this insane show and then watched Teen Witch, I got it. You don't, you don't always need series or movies to be shows that keep you thinking and keep you guessing the entire way through. Sometimes it's fun just to have something dumb show up and just see where it goes and see what happens. So, so yeah, that's my review on The Order because it was, just watch, it is very much a great value magicians. That is the greatest way to sum it up. If you like the magicians and you're looking for something that you don't have to pay attention to, watch it. it is, it's a pretty good time. You can even make a drinking game out of it. I'm sure you could probably clean the house and it's in the background. 
it's one of those shows. Check it out if you get the chance. That is going to wrap it up for the Curvy Geeky Fangirl podcast. I hope you enjoyed this ride. Let me know if you guys have any shows or movies or things that you want me to recap or talk about for the next week's episode. I'm trying to think if there's another series that's dropping, but not for a while. Us is coming out this weekend, so I'm probably going to be catching that. It is gonna. It looks like it's going to be amazing. The reviews so far for it are stellar. I'm very interested to see where this is going to go and what exactly these doppelgangers are for everybody. I also want a pair of these scissors so bad. I want a pair of these creepy behind humongous gold scissors. Uh, so that is definitely dropping. Um, but I think that, yeah, I think that's it show-wise. Everything else that I catch is not coming out. Oh, well, not to throw back. Into the Badlands is coming out. Like I said, American Gods is out, but I have not caught up on that at all. Is there anything else that's playing? I think that's it. American Gods. There's another show on Stars that looks like it's an acid trip waiting to happen. Um, and Into the Badlands is coming back. Louis Tan, shout out to you. I'm excited to see that come out this Sunday. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for me. I hope you guys have a great week. Bye.